Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. Thanks for tuning in and joining us for this episode. I'm excited to be speaking to Prasad Patkar and Peter Brook of Platypus Asset Management, who manage over $5 billion in assets under management. What's interesting about this episode, I think, is that we're speaking with Prasad, who's head of their qualitative investment team, that is the fundamental investment that most people in the market are most aware of. And then we're speaking with Peter Brook, who's head of their quantitative investment team. And in this episode, we're focusing on their absolute return fund that brings together these two strategies, one being the fundamental qualitative analysis and the other being the quantitative or market signals, if you'd like. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I certainly did. Please remember that this isn't designed to be, nor is it specific advice, and people are encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the episode, as well as seeking their own advice before making any possible investments. Please remember to keep your feedback coming in. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Enjoy the episode. Peter and Prasad, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. Thank you. Perhaps we could kick off with you giving us our, the listeners a bit of an insight into your background and how you came to be running what you are now. Sure. Um, David, I uh, came to Australia as a um, postgraduate student, in, in fact, in the late 90s, 1997, to do my master's in, in business administration at um, AGSM. And the plan was to actually stay here, do the master's and head back to India, which is where I, I, I came from. Um, and pursue a career there. Uh, but one thing led to another and opportunities um, became uh, available. Um, and um, we, what, what looked like a two-year stint became a 23-year stay in Australia. And this is, this is home now. So um, this is where we are with our families. Um, I joined Platypus in 2008. Um, and Donald Williams recruited me um, as a portfolio manager and uh, have been at Platypus for 13 years, um, um, working in the, in the flagship strategy. Um, so that's, that's my background. So, so I also came out uh, from the UK to, to study. Um, I, I came to do my PhD in physics um, out, out here. Um, and then after that, was looking for, a, looking for a change, looking for a new challenge, and um, ended up at a boutique, small boutique at, at the time called Amir Investment Management. That was back in 2006. And then um, after that, I got a taste for it and um, came across the Platypus, Platypus team and, and ended up starting at Platypus a few weeks after Prasad um, back, in, back in January 2008. And tell us about Platypus Asset Management. What is it? What does it do? And what's its sort of niche or, or secret source in any areas? Uh, Platypus Asset Management was started in 1998 by Donald Williams and Nick Wright. Um, and it it, became, it started life as a private client's uh, business, really. Uh, we had about, at the time, uh, 50 private clients, um, of which 30 are still clients today, uh, or their subsequent generations. Uh, and that's a, a matter of great pride for us at Platypus. And they're mainly family office type clients. They're high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's that's how Platypus began, as an, as an equities uh, boutique, um, Donald was of the view, um, as was Nick, that um, um, clients, I mean, equities uh, investors uh, didn't get the right, right risk reward the way the, ma- the, the traditional, um, you know, index hugging portfolio man- management's, uh, management sort of uh, practices were in place at the time. So Donald took a view that he'd become a, 
um, index unaware, uh, 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 he'd adopt an index unaware portfolio construction approach. He would be, uh, he would pursue companies that would, that would grow their earnings over the long term. Um, a lot of our um, Aussie businesses have become global leaders. And the portfolio is, is is full of those names, you know, the Macquarie Banks of this world, the CSLs, uh, Cochlears, ResMeds, um, and now more recently Afterpay. So those those businesses that are um, that can address the large addressable markets um, outgrow Australia very quickly because they are very 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 good at what they do, and then they go on to conquer the world. So um, I think there was a there was a vision to back these sorts of companies and to and to um, look after clients who um, wanted those exposures to such such growth growth stories over the long term and that was in 1998 and then Donald um, and and Nick and Gary Adamson our current CEO um, formed a joint venture with Australian unity in 2006 I think it was just before Peter and I joined and from from that point on um, we um, started looking after institutional clients as well um, so that's that's the quick summary okay, quick. did yeah. you yeah, and so um, what's interesting about Platypus is that there's both um, fundamental investment at the firm and quant investing, which is which is unusual for a boutique. Um, so there's now about what circa five billion, I think, in the um, in the main flagship product. Um, but the quant side of the business has been going since um, 2008 and been managing money since 2009, and both teams have been working together um, for for that whole period. Um, and you know, across the strategies, across investments, and across just general market market intelligence. So that's and that really was um, Don and Nick's and and Gary's um, almost vision, really saying, look, there's you know, investing. Yes, we all have our own styles, but the reality is, is that if you have this sort of uh, sort of a humble approach, saying, look, we don't know everything. How else can we get as much information as we can? Um, and actually learn how we can, you know, navigate markets through many cycles. Which, by the way, um, we we have done so far to date. Touch wood. But it's um, and that's something else that's a, that I would highlight is unusual um, in in this business. And some of our clients, for instance, or people listening, would be very successful business people who have had liquidity events, um, not so au fait with wealth management. Can I get you to articulate for them the difference between fundamental and quantitative uh, management? Um, well, fundamental analysis, fundamental management is what we're used to, right? Um, you go and visit companies, you go and do a deep dive analysis. Uh, Prasad and the team spend a lot of time thinking about what drives businesses, the people that run them, are they trustworthy? Um, you know, kick, they have kick strong the balance sheets. Exactly. What's exactly. The look exactly. Like? Yeah. All the all the accounting stuff. Um, so, um, and that's more sort of um, what you would think about investing. What um, what quant investing does is it actually takes um, my view is it takes um, data first, but it uses that data to actually, in a sense, exploit or take or sort of um, sort of take advantage of um, investor behaviours. So, for example, you sell your winners too early, you um, hold on to your losers for too long, and those behaviours are. Sort of reflected in equity prices, and you can build portfolios based on those um, using data. Um, and we have been doing that since since two thousand nine. So really, the two approaches are one um, fundamental, qualitative. Um, you can't really put your finger on why you outperform, um, and that's the fundamental part. And the quant part is where you actually say, look, data is what goes into our systems, and we build models to try and describe the markets that we then hope will outperform. And what does platypus look like today? You said there's been a move or a transition from that 
40 or so uh, high net wealth clients to the JV with Australian Unity and taking on um, uh, some institutional money. What, what does it look like today? Rough funds under advice, how many different strategies does it run and what do they look and feel like? Sure. We, we um, have about $5 billion, uh, of funds in the management at the moment across the firm. Uh, we have um, three products and a fourth one in, is, is in, in the in a advanced stage of development. Uh, the three products at the moment are the flagship product, which is the product that um, that I'm responsible for. Um, so that's 20 to 40 stocks, um, concentrated uh, index unaware, portfolio construction, growth companies, um, and, and, and sort of a good small cap representation in it as well. Um, and then the, the two products that, that Pete runs. Uh, Pete, do you want to talk about the two? Yeah, so one is a um, long-only sort of much closer to index type product. Um, and the third, which I think is um, uh, is really interesting product, is the long short product. Um, now that one combines Prasad and Prasad's expertise and his team's expertise on the long side. So you have the fundamental tire kicking deep dive analysis where they know every part of the business, and the, and then on the short side we use quant techniques. We use data to actually pick our shorts. Um, you know, and there are very numerous advantages to that in the sense that, for example, we don't get wedded to an idea. So for you know, we'll short a stock. If we're wrong, we'll be out. Um, we have no emotional attachment to these to these types of you know to the position, which from a short perspective is very very important because, you know, you can lose multiples of your money if you're short short a stock, and in in a sense, and the the product structured in the sense that you are as much long as you are short. So we make no money at all from the market direction, which by the way is a, is a real differentiator. Um, we only make money if the stock picks. Um, outperform on the on the long side and if the stock picks outperform on the short side we've completely hedged out the market uh, market exposure in terms of dollars um, and so that's really an important portfolio I think to have as a you know something that that, that works when everything else doesn't um, in that way and and what's the breakdown of that five billion funds in terms of which funds is most of that sitting in and maybe if you could talk about the relative performance of those funds. Um, roughly over recent history, sure. But bulk of that five billion is sit, sits in the in the fundamental strategy, the long only um, concentrated growth strategy, um, and um, the other two uh, products, which are the the quant products, have have a relatively small farm at this point in time. Um, the long short fund that Pete just mentioned about um, uh, what, that that has a very limited capacity to begin with. So it's got about forty million under management. But it, we think it's going to max out at about 200 million. So um, it's a it's a very niche product. Uh, in terms of relative performance, the the flagship product um, has a 21 year history, and and very strong history of outperformance across time frames. Mm -hmm. um, the most uh, the last calendar year, uh, that fund was up um, about 17 and a half percent versus the market, uh, um, and and over the five and three five ten year horizons, it's got um, sort of mid-single-digit type relative outperformance. So uh, it's got a good, strong track record. Um, Pete, you're, over to you to talk about your two funds. Yeah, so all, all this information is on the website in terms of um, the after-fee performance that's all been audited by AU. But um, so the long short um, since, for last, uh, since inception per annum has 3.7% uh, uh, after-fees. Um, and don't forget that's, you know, the cash is the benchmark there. Um, and the systematic, which is the closer to benchmark product, that is market beta, if you will, you're getting exposed to the market. 
that's uh, provided. Hang on, let me just look here. Um, 133 bips of alpha since November 09 after fees. And and with regard to maybe if we just focus on that um, absolute return fund, which is the combination of it's it's exactly 50% is at half your long one prasad and and half the uh, the quant fund. It never moves from 50%. It's a fixed position. Yeah, so it's actually 100% long, 100% short. Um, so for every dollar in the fund, we have um, 100% long, 100% short. And we've rebalanced that uh, on a very regular basis. Um, and we do that on purpose because if markets move in one way, you know, in a very you know, in a strong way, it affects your leverage. So we want to make sure that we give investors what they what, what we promised, and that is something that will give you a return outside of the market. Um, and to do that, we have to make sure we do rebalance to the to the hundred long, hundred short. And in terms of other strategies in the market or styles of you know, in this growth diversifiers absolute return type structure, you see pairs trading, you see all type of other things. What do you think this is most similar to? If anything, yeah. If anything, I mean, it's not. There isn't really a product that's 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 similar in the sense that fundamental longs and quant shorts. If you combine those two strategies together, a you've got to have something that you can't buy. Um, I've been working with Prasad since January two thousand eight, um, and that's that. Over many years, we've you know developed our rela- working relationship, um, and that's something that if you bought a quant team together with a fundamental team. You would you would absolutely get philosophical differences in the way you approach the markets. Um, so that's the first thing. That's why there isn't really a product like this out there. Um, and the second thing is that yes, we're not a pairs trading fund, but we do naturally see because of the way the fund, the, the quant fund is kind of built. Often the shorts, you know, Prasad will take a look at the shorts and go, you know what, I'm not actually that that opposed to those. They're, they're even though they're quant shorts, which I know you've got risk control there, you know, they're they're and they're fundamentally not stocks that I would want to go long. Um, Do you ever have a scenario where you've got a long position (laughs) on one side of the book and a short position on the other side of the the same name? Yeah, we do. And that's, that's, that's the one thing that I like about this is the interaction between the two because quant strategies are not perfect. Um, They underperform at certain periods. Um, And so it's nice to have that fundamental influence. So if there's a stock we want to short, um, that Prasad, also owns long, we actually will do nothing. We won't go long or short. Um, we'll just leave it out of the portfolio. You stay out of it altogether. Correct. What's interesting about that scenario, David, is that it, um, and it goes to show the way we approach investing, which is such a, it's a tricky, tricky task with imperfect information and a lot of unknowns, that if that scenario does arise, it actually triggers a little bit of a review on our side as well. Uh, so there's, here's, a, here's a stock that we hold on our behalf of our clients that our quant team uh, would like a short. So it triggers a little conversation. We want to know why, what is it that we might have been, something that the, the machine's picking up that we we might have to give attention to. So I think it's a, it's a great um, um, conversation, review trigger, if you like, uh, for us to re- revisit what might happen. You know, Pete, what does that mean? You know, how long, is, is, is this clearly there's something not quite right with the stock that the machine's picked up. Uh, is the stock likely to underperform for an extended period of time? What what does it mean? So that conversation is always interesting, and it it adds to our understanding and knowledge of the position that we hold, um, irrespective of the fact that we think we know it really well. So it's it's a it's a it's a it's a um, collaborative sort of conversation rather than a confrontational one, which is the typical 
scenario that you'd expect between fundamental and quant people. When they do mm. cross <laughs> paths, it's generally adversarial. Whereas in mm. our case, it's, uh, it's collaborative. Except when it comes to cricket, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, um, perhaps you could talk what, what part of what parts of the market, if any, at this point in time, are you excited about? Are there any particular themes that you think um, are providing good tailwinds for long investors at the moment? Uh, from a thematic point of view, yeah, there are there are heaps of heaps of um, great themes. I think that investors should should sort of um, pay attention to and and do some study of. Um, I mean, there are some really long-term themes that have been in place for a, for a while now that are, you know, aging population, for instance, is a, is a, is a great theme. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it is, um, um, uh, it gives rise to um, uh, demands on the healthcare system that, that some companies can provide at a cost-effective manner uh, in, a, in a clinically, super, and deliver clinically superior outcomes. Um, and if, if, if you find, you know, businesses that can do that, they should have a, a structural tailwind. Um, data, um, data storage, um, data transfer. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful, long-lasting theme. Um, payments, uh, e-commerce, um, and and the, the beauty about these themes, David, is that a number of these themes have become stronger through the pandemic. So um, either they have um, uh, those, those trends have been accelerated. Those trends cases. have been accelerated, or the or the total addressable markets have grown or the speed at which those uh, companies were uh, uh, able to exp- get to their total addressable market has, has shortened. So um, there are some, some, some great themes in, 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 in place along those lines. And Peter, are, are your quant models producing any patterns or themes, would you say, in terms of the types of shorts that it's producing? Yeah, I mean, we again. So maybe I should highlight that our short positions we kind of hold them for three to four months. So they're very short term. So we we don't short long term thematics in the same way you would go long the you know the opposite the opposite side. Um, so from a quant perspective, we're picking up at the moment. Um, for example, gold is something that we're seeing come up on our short signals, um, and that's that's playing out um, in the in the portfolio. But apart from that, really the the fund is capturing stuff that we think is kind of long-term. You know, investors react to news, they react to certain things, and that's play, that plays out in, in the data. Um, and so we're picking that up as, as we would expect to pick up in the future as well. Are you picking up any warning signs in terms of a market trading at, you know, a bit of, bit of froth in the market in terms of some of these technology companies that have run very hard? In, in some people's opinion, with with multiples that may or not may or not be justified, are you seeing any patterns there? So no, no, we're not um, really from a quant perspective. I mean, one of the things we are seeing is that there does seem to be less. I mean, what one of the signals we do look at, by the way, is um, short data. Um, so that's you can get that both publicly and um, you can you can get it if you are a hedge fund already. You can also get that. Um, um, from certain providers. So we're seeing that there's less shorting in the market than there was five years ago. Um, so which is interesting given the news around GameStop, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. you would think that there's, you know, every stock in the market shorted, but we're actually seeing there's less there's less shorts around. So it's um, I mean that that's one sort of broader theme we're seeing. Um, so as these valuations get um, you know, fuller, we're not seeing shorts come in. Can you talk a little bit to our listeners about um, how you go about building a short portfolio. Um, I think you alluded to before the fact that 
you know, if you get a long position wrong, the problem goes away. Mm. But if you get a short position wrong, the problem gets bigger when you come back the next morning. Um, and therefore, I think most people will say, you know, the, the level of experience and expertise in constructing a short portfolio is quite valuable. So I'm interested to know how you go about that, um, how many positions it looks like and what some of the rules or, or metrics or things that you have in place to help you deliver outcomes where you don't have these huge tail risks. So we, um, we, we've been building the quant part of the business at Platypus since um, January 08. So that's in a way, that's kind of where it started because the first thing if you're going to trade off data is you got to make sure your, your systems are all you know, as, as good as they can be. Um, and I've got a great team, um, uh, but, but behind the quant, quant side of the business to help with that. So that's number one, get the data correct. Number two is you've got to find a risk model that you can trust. So we've been using, and in a way we used that on the long side for many years before we launched this product in 2015. So we already had six years of trading long equities using quant strategies before we decided to, to apply the same techniques to the short strategy. So from that respect, your question's ex- entirely accurate. Um, we learned how to trade um, and invest systematically in Australian equities on the long side first before we then apply those techniques to the short side. Um, and then we, we basically go through a process of deciding, well, okay, you know, we have certain intuitions about the market. We have, you know, things like, okay, if you're down, should you have stop losses? Or if you're down 20%, should you cover the position? All these things that, you, you know, anecdotally, you, know, you would think, you know, might work from a trading perspective. And when you look at the data, some work, some don't. And, and the art behind building a quant process is picking the ones that you're most comfortable with, uh, picking the ones that you you also you can see have worked in the past. Um, and we also, by the way, we have a uh, futures overlay on top of our short portfolio um, as well, so that when our models, we, we have less confidence in our, the outperformance of our models, the futures comes on. Um, and that's a recent innovation we've just added, which which has worked, worked, worked well so far. Um, but in terms of the short portfolio, there's about, uh, 25 to 30 names, um, and it's the turnover which allows us to do that, which again, as Prasad alluded to earlier, limits the capacity. Um, so it's kind of a, uh, I get that's a long answer to your question, but there's a whole bunch of um, building that you have to do before you can start to go, okay, right, we have a quant process, we're happy to actually put money behind. In what sort of circumstances does this strategy perform or is expected to do well? So the the strategy performs best during periods of market stress, um, which is we. You and know, by stress, you mean volatility anyway, or just uh, markets diving down. Markets diving down. Yep. Yeah. So, for example, during um, during the COVID uh, drawdown in March last year, the fund was up plus four um, percent. So we expect that that the portfolio would do best then. It will do worst. Um, in markets where you know there's strong turning points or very very strong value rallies, um, but again we're, we're more expected. We, we can see um, through time when we expect to do worst um, and when we expect to do better. Um, but but yeah, the idea of this portfolio is that it, it acts as sort of a ballast to a broader portfolio in the sense that you know during these extreme periods, um, your overall book is making money somewhere. And what sort of compound annual growth rate um, do you think an investor should have in mind when they're committing funds to this strategy for this type of strategy? What, what would be reasonable? We expect to provide high single digits after fees. Um, but the key is really we expect to provide, you know, we do use um, 
sharp ratios where we expect the volatility, the, the amount that the portfolio moves to match the returns. So we don't want investors to, um, we want to pay investors for the risk, to, to the volatility they take. So that's what, and that can change through time, um, but, you know, expecting about, you know, high single digits. And what, what is your view of the current market we're in in the medium term outlook? It's probably Prasad's uh, neck of the woods. Yeah, David, we, we've actually been uh, pretty bullish. The markets sort of from middle, middle of last year onwards when, when sort of the, the pathway to a vaccine started to look more promising. Uh, we think that COVID, I mean, history suggests that markets do and economies do recover pretty quickly um, in a V-shaped recovery, if you like. Um, once if they hit with exogenous or outside shocks, uh, not not the the, the garden variety um, recessions that come from excesses in, an, in in one particular area of the economy, so wars, famines, floods, pandemics, these sorts of shocks that that can come and disrupt economic activity, uh, tend to have V-shaped recoveries. Um, uh, that's the historical uh, pattern, at least. It looks like it's playing out this way in this in this particular event as well. Um, so. This this it's a, so it's a good solid strong recovery for the economy, good so, solid environment for companies to to grow their profits, and we've seen that uh, in this February reporting season as well. Uh, by and large, companies produced very very strong results, and we think there's another reporting period that that will follow. Um, and and um, you know the, the the macro environment is pretty accommodative still. You know, lots of fiscal stimulus is in the system. The monetary uh, conditions are very loose. Um, so markets and risk assets more broadly should should do well in this environment. Um, so that's that's been the the view that we've had from sort of uh, mid to late last year, and we think that's still playing out as expected. Well, Peter and Prasad, thank you very much. It's been a really good overview of the strategy um, that I agree is quite unique in the market. Um, before we leave our listeners, are there any overarching comments or comments in conclusion you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, as, an, as an investor in Pete's fund, I'd, I'd say that um, um, I think it was the number three investor behind you and Nick. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, the appeal of this product is that it does do um, well in times of market stress. So, and and when it does, when in the place and, and, and in an environment that where the markets are in a raging bull market, it tends to sort of um, sort of go sideways and and, and is a bit lackluster. So fits in really well with with um, with people who are structurally long markets uh, to be able to take a, a slice of that long portfolio and put it into this strategy where the returns will be genuinely different to, to market returns. Well, thank you very much, Peter and Prasad. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.